The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. As some of you know, I've only recently returned uh, following a, a summer spent on, on sabbatical, a time of uh, rest and renewal, uh, connection with my family, a really blessed time, uh, which also ended up being unexpectedly busy uh, in ways that Lauren and I had not at all anticipated. So, so we've been in Houston for 16 years and for almost the past decade have called the, the Westbury neighborhood uh, home. We've been very much at home there, started our family, but we began to follow these surprising series of, of breadcrumbs that ultimately uh, resulted in us selling our home and moving a little ways further southwest toward the city of Meadows Place. Uh, so a friend asked me this week how life in the burbs is treating us, and, and I got very defensive right away. I said, look, like Sugarland is still like four miles away, okay? Not in the burbs. Let's get something straight. Back off. So there may be a little resistance I'm working through, um, but I'm slowly starting to embrace this new life in Fort Bend County, just outside the Beltway, but outside the Beltway, nonetheless, I'm clinging to my 713 area code for comfort. But like any relocation, it is disruptive, right? It's, it's an upheaval of the rhythms that had been so long established. And so we find ourselves asking, what does it look like to cultivate life, community in this new setting, transplanted into this unfamiliar soil? How will we, how will we become rooted here? And what fruits might grow? And perhaps not by coincidence, uh, precisely when I'm asking those questions of myself. It's what I've been tasked with asking us to examine today. If, if you've been with us over the past couple of weeks, you know that we're in a new series exploring these various dimensions of our, our DNA, our identity, our ethos as a church, coming back to this central question, who is Ecclesia? What is guiding us? And Pastor Sean beautifully articulated our uh, connection to the historical lineage of a, a Christian witness and Pastor Chris reminded us of our identity as a missional people, that, that God's call is active in every facet of our lives. There's this inconvenient truth uh, in times that, that we are never not on mission. And then we might think of these next two weeks as, as a kind of pair, because next Sunday we'll delve into the vital dimension of our being a part of a global family. And Chris mentioned last week, having these recent conversations with, with members of the community, expressing exhaustion at, at the wit's end, just ready to leave Ecclesia entirely over, in part, uh, what can be seen as this uh, relentless focus on disaster relief. And it's true. We continue and will continue, by the way, to extend love in places of crisis to answer God call, God's call in those places in Puerto Rico, in Venezuela, in Ukraine. Pastor Chris and Josue and Alexandra uh, have led a team from our community and are, are, will be coming back to, literally today from Mexico City where they have been over the past few days connecting with trafficking victims and care advocates uh, in the city. There will certainly be uh, care uh, extended in the aftermath of the extensive loss and destruction brought by Hurricane Ian and, 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 and it can be overwhelming, this perception that we have to be everywhere. I get it. Trust me, I work here, okay? 
But I'd perhaps propose that when we feel that, that strain, that depletion, it's at least in part because we've grown out of alignment with what it is to live with that kind of openness and generosity and relational connection in our closer spheres, in our local being. And if we're out of practice living that true call locally, then how could we possibly hope to sustainably do so beyond the limited scope of our orbits? And so let's t consider together today this, this important dimension of, of who we are, that we're made to exist and serve as a local church, as a distinctly uh, faithful expression of the kingdom of God, particular to where we have been planted. And what does that mean? Because it's complicated for a great many reasons. For, first of all, the where are we is, is a profoundly complex question to begin with in a city like Houston and its suburbs, right? Which is not a monolith, but it's made up of, of dozens, if not hundreds of distinct, uh, unique, vibrant localities, each with its own character and eccentricity each with its own ethnic and cultural makeup, each with its own challenges. It's said often that, that Houston is among the most diverse cities in the nation, which is true. Roughly 30% of our residents are foreign-born. Almost 150 different languages are spoken in homes around our city. God has literally brought the world to Houston. And so in many ways, our identities as Houstonians, uh, global and local are intertwined. They're inseparable from one another. But like the world, so many of us, I'm guilty of this, can be guilty of easily defaulting toward homogeneity over the, the messiness the challenge of inhabiting and navigating that diversity and clinging instead to, to those that, that look like us, think like us, worship like us, vote like us. The sheer sprawl of the city can be such, a, such an obstacle to genuine connection. I've heard this joke a couple times this week. Houston is an hour from Houston, right? <laughs> and we get it. Even as a church, the, the needs, the relationships... The opportunities around the downtown campus often differ so greatly from those at the Westside campus or at Lindale. So how do we remain aligned in common purpose? And on top of all of that, we're only just now beginning to, to re-engage after two years of being so out of, of practice with sustained proximity to one another. And this is the tension that I'm hoping to name, that on this side of eternity, it will always be challenging, always. It's the same reason they will never be done working on the highways, okay? This perfection that we're longing for doesn't exist. It will forever elude us. It's the phenomenon of, of, of quiet quitting, this, this grass is greener type of thinking. The, the writer of Hebrews talks about our desire for a, a better, a heavenly homeland the city of God that, that's been prepared for us. But the inescapable reality is that for now, we live here. And so the question then becomes, how then will we live here? It's a tension not unlike what we see in the Old Testament period of exile. So around 600 BC, Jerusalem was besieged and ultimately conquered by Nebuchadnezzar. And the temple was destroyed. 
in the kingdom of Judah was taken into captivity in Babylon. Now, the prophet Jeremiah had foreseen this eventuality, and he had uh, repeatedly attempted to warn the kingdom of Judah of their, their faithlessness, their idolatry, of their, their assimilation to systems of, of rampant injustice. And so Jeremiah sends this word to the elders in exile and basically tells them to start getting uncomfortable being uncomfortable. It's going to be a while. Seventy years, in fact. So you better start living. Build houses, plant gardens, get married and multiply. And then he goes on and says this in Jeremiah 29. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Now, we are not in captivity, at least in the literal sense, but we are, as it's written in 1 Peter, this, this oxymoron, something like resident aliens, citizen exiles longing for our true homeland, this promised future. And so a few questions I want to pose in light of, of our call as this peculiar local people, these, these sojourners, here perhaps temporarily, but indefinitely. Because for as long as we are here, we are called not to passivity, but passionate investment in making this time and this place all the more reflective of that time, of that place for which we long, for which we wait, for which we hope. And so we ask ourselves first, how am I seeking the welfare of the neighborhood? So within a week of moving into our new home in Meadows Place, there were, there were cookies dropped off, uh, housewarming plants. Uh, shout out Jason and Casey. I, my lawn was mowed, totally unprompted. Uh, there's been playdates uh, with, with kids of, of families we've just met. I, I got uh, roped into a fantasy football league. It's going very poorly for me. <laughs> I don't watch the games. I, I'm praying for someone named Marquise Brown and his questionable foot this morning. We'll see. And introduction after introduction, and the hospitality has been warm and genuine and plentiful. Are we those kinds of neighbors? And not with an, an evangelistic, proselytizing agenda, right? But simply with a, a sincere heart of, of kindness and openness and generosity. This is one of our core rhythms as a church, this kind of hospitality. So when someone moves into our neighborhood, we are those who move toward as if to say, I see you. I'm here for you. I'm glad you are here. May this space be blessed by your presence and in our sharing of it. We're people of welcome. Because unfortunately, I've, I've also witnessed the very opposite take place in my new neighborhood. Hateful yard signs directed toward close friends in the LGBTQ community. Friends who are already heartbreakingly accustomed to hearing some version or another of you do not belong here, only to then receive this hate, this messaging within their own cul-de-sac. It would be such a shame if hypothetically such a sign were just to disappear in the dead of night. It's the kind of commandment law-breaking I can get behind. Hypothetically, 
If any attorneys are here, you can let me know if I have any legal exposure there. But the particular opportunities each of us have are different because each of the neighborhoods we inhabit are different. But just imagine if every one of us, the impact, if each one of us lived with that kind of welcome, cultivating embrace instead of distance where God has planted us. It's beautiful. And so then we ask, how am I seeking the welfare of the community? And by community, I mean particularly in this moment, the community of believers and seekers, which we have chosen to call home for a season, the church. The writer of Hebrews challenges us to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now for us to be this local people, it's vitally important that we do so in an embodied, incarnate way, engaging with real people in real spaces. It's been such a delight every week to reconnect with folks who are, are back with us in person in these gatherings after so many months and seasons spent largely apart. And we have several new small groups starting in, the, in this fall season or restarting. We'll have many other opportunities to engage in the coming weeks, the discipleship groups. I'll be leading one with Asher and Julie toward the end of the month. We'll have Astros playoff watch parties. Stay tuned for more on that. One gathering I want to make sure you're aware of, especially if you're new to the community, is our open door dinner we'll host in two weeks, October 16th, um, Sunday evening here at the church and a terrific chance to, to gather together over a great meal to hear our story, for us to hear your story, to connect with members of the team and one another, find ways to get involved, uh, to take part in what God is doing here. We would love to have you make plans for that. But I want you to hear clearly that your very presence here contributes to the welfare of the community and your your participation. Pastor Chris made mention last week about significant volunteer needs at both campuses. I'm gonna bring up that QR code which you can pull out your phone and scan. It'll be at the connect table at the back as well afterward. And this can look like any number of things. Helping to lead or host a small group, a community in your neighborhood or helping to support our family ministry team as they teach and care for our kids, or helping uh, Keith and I host these gatherings, or connecting with our Nostoy community to the outreach to the unhoused family and those in housing transition, whatever it is, we believe that every one of us has a part to play in what we view as a collaborative effort to seek the welfare of the community so that we together can be better equipped to seek the welfare of the city, of our neighbors, and all that God's calling us into. Thanks, Carly. So hopefully you begin to see the layers that we're building, that as we practice seeking the welfare of our literal neighbors, attending to this local soil, that impulse naturally expands outward, like a ripple, like a a healthy root system growing and reaching out and strengthening those bonds in our other realms of relationship. It's not just the church, it's our workplaces and our schools, and then outward further to the city and to the margins and beyond and beyond. And so we finally ask, how am I seeking the welfare of the city? 
Because this looks different to me than I did when I started writing this message earlier in the week. Because there are countless ways, certainly, that you can give financially, give of your time and your service toward amazing organizations doing tremendous work for the kingdom in our city. And we would love to connect you uh, in the right direction if you have a particular area of passion. But I want to suggest, actually Jeremiah wants to suggest that these righteous actions are actually preceded by the development of a new way of seeing. So the prophet goes on, he's offering words of encouragement for these fellows in exile, for these 70 years, this long wait, prompting them into perseverance and trust. For thus says the Lord, he says, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Do you hear what he says? Babylon's 70 years, not Judah's. What if this exile was not punitive, but it was a commission? It was an act of love orchestrated so that God's covenant family would be a blessing to these people in this land thought to be forsaken. That in this sending, Judah would remember who they were, would remember their purpose, that from the very beginning of the Abrahamic covenant, it was about being a blessing to all the nations. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and the places where I have driven you. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. And this all sounded really familiar to me, just where... Where will the Lord be found? And then it came to me. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells us himself. He talks about his return and separating the sheep from the goats in the last days. And that when that time arrives, he will call his blessed to his right hand to inherit the kingdom, the city that he's prepared. And he says this, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you? Were naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick in, or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. So here's the twist. We're made for encounter. Seeking the welfare of the city begins with an awakening to the truth that every single person you meet is a bearer of the divine image of the crucified and risen Christ. 
and as such is also a temporary exile, exile from that greater city, which is on one hand your shared future, but which is in more importantly your present reality in seeking their welfare you find your own. The great Barbara Brown Taylor says it like this, that encountering another human being is as close to God as I may ever get. In the eye-to-eye thing, the person-to-person thing, which is where God's beloved has promised to show up. Paradoxically, the point is not to see him. The point is to see the person standing right in front of me who has no substitute, who can never be replaced, whose heart holds things for which there is no language, whose life is an unsolved mystery. And the moment I turn that person into a character in my story, the encounter is over. I've stopped being a human being and I have become a fiction writer. So there's a catch and we're not particularly good at it. Encounter requires us to look in the first place. Earlier this week, Wednesday evening, Lauren and I were sitting out outside. We were basking in this glorious early fall weather. We were watching my son, Miles, uh, at his soccer practice uh, when I suddenly began to receive a volley of fraud alert texts on my phone. And I made my way back to my, my car in the parking lot and discovered at that time uh, that in, in the, some point during the previous 20 minutes, my vehicle, which I had unfortunately uh, absentmindedly left unlocked, that's my bad, um, had been fully rifled through, you know, glove box, console, everything, and, and my money clip holding my ID and my credit cards, which I had kept in the center console at that time, had been, of course, taken. Uh, and the perpetrator was at that very moment Uh, attempting to charge, I don't know, $600 at a Walgreens. These things happen. In the grand scheme, a minor inconvenience, some canceled cards, right? A couple phone calls. And I can't really speculate as to the story and circumstance of this individual, whether motivated by malice or desperation or simply plain opportunity. But I want to believe, I could be wrong, but I want to believe, desperately want to believe that we are living toward a reality, toward a community in which that would have been much less likely if we had looked one another in the eye first. Another teacher I like quite a bit, we call him Pastor Sean, says it this way in his book. Anything less than real-life contact creates caricatures of the other. And caricatures lead to cruelty. It's simply too easy to talk about those people when others are distant and amorphous and unknown. In the absence of first-hand knowledge, others can easily become inhuman. So what I want to suggest is that the place of your exile is precisely where God wants you. If only for a season, and your primary task in this place is to be a blessing in this place, to see what others can't 
or won't to leave it better than you found it. Because Ecclesia, we are a local people which has surprisingly little to do with geography and everything to do with presence. We are a people of the here and now. We can only be where we are and when we are. And so the kingdom of God is winking back at you through the eyes of the other. That, that heavenly homeland, it's already here. It's right in front of you, wherever and with whomever that here and now may be. Seek its welfare. Let those with ears to hear, hear the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.